speaking of what did God do right today? David had an episode of what did God do right today? It occurred to him one day that God has saved me from all my enemies. All of his difficult situations, God resolved them. God promised that he would be with David. And David realized one day, he is with me. He has helped me in every situation. And chapter 22 of 2 Samuel is that song that David wrote to thank God. And it's important for us because what God did for David, he does for us. And what God does is he gave David valuable things. And there were people that wanted to take those valuable things from David and they wanted to kill him. And God didn't let them do that. He enabled David to keep those things that God gave to him. And God protected his life. And you know, God gives us valuable things. And we have enemies that want to take these things away and kill us. But God wants us to become strong in him so that we can keep the things that he's given us and enjoy life, really. So I'm reading in 2 Samuel 22. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. So, on some day, David thinks this thought My goodness, God really has saved me. And when you think about it, David had lots of enemies, not just one or two. You know, when he was a kid, he's facing lions, bears, Goliath the giant, Philistine armies, the Jebusites had a walled city that no one could get into. And they just kind of said, the blind and the lame are going to get in here before you do. 
He also faced whole nations, Moab, Edom, Ammon, Syria, and his own son Absalom had all of Israel behind him to take the kingdom and kill him. Lots of enemies. And you notice how God saved David from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul? Don't you think that's interesting? You know that Saul considered David his enemy. David is out to get me. But David didn't consider Saul his enemy. Whatever he did, and whatever problem Saul was for David, David didn't count him an enemy and say, well, he's trying to kill me, so it's okay if I kill him. He said, you know what? Whatever he is, he is the anointed of the Lord, and you can't touch the anointed of the Lord. So David says, he's not an enemy, but he is this situation that goes on and on and on and on and on, and it's not resolved. And David tries again and again to resolve this situation, nothing. It just goes on and on. So, God resolved an issue that kept on going. And David here is praising the Lord because God defended him and his rights. You see, David didn't have this ambition as a kid, running around with a stick and going, I want to be king of Israel. Furthest thing from his mind. But one day the prophet Samuel comes to him and says, you know what? I'm pouring this oil on your head because thus says the Lord, you are the king of Israel. Just gave it to him. Here, you're the king now. You are the anointed of the Lord. The kingdom is yours. Now that's a right and it's a blessing and it's a privilege that God gave to him. Now some people weren't happy with that and that is Saul, the Philistines, Ammon, Syria, Moab, lions, and bears. All of them wanted to just take all that away. Who cares if he's the anointed of God? Let's kill him. And then it'll be ours. But you notice how David describes God in these first verses. What ties all these things together is the Lord is David's defense. Not an attack weapon to get something. He never says, the Lord is my sword, my javelin, my tactical nuclear weapon to get what I want. God gave him these things. The Lord is defending him so that he can have them like God said he could have them. Big difference, isn't it? He's not trying to get all David 
wants is just to defend. And so the Lord is a fortress where they can't get in. And then he's the God of my strength. We're going to get into this in a minute. How God enabled David to keep what he gave him. But isn't that phenomenal? That God would defend a person's rights and say, no, it's okay to have what I gave you. It's wrong for them to take it away from you. And, you know, in verse 6 here, we'll get there in a second, the, the waves of death, the sorrows of Sheol. You know, when you die, you lose everything. And that's why David's enemies wanted to kill him. When you kill somebody, everything they have is up for grabs. And it can be yours permanently. And this dead person is never coming back for them or going to say, hey, why'd you take everything from me? You win at that point. And that's the philosophy of all David's enemies. Let's just kill him. That solves the problem. Then we can just split it up and have a nice day. Now, look at these verses. Verse 5. When the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, coals were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above. He took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. So what you want to notice first is that the opponents, all of David's enemies, were overwhelming. In every situation that David faces, who's ever on the other side is always bigger and stronger. 
you think about Goliath. This guy was like nine feet tall, and he was sort of a, a, a tank on two legs. You ever been next to a tank? You know, in pictures, they look like fun, and of course, when you have a toy and it's only about this big, broom, everything's cool. But I was next to a tank one time in Germany. There was a Belgian uh, tank base just down the street from my house. And on certain days, the Belgians would drive the tanks right through the city to get to where they're going to do war games. And so it was a, a Friday morning. It was really dark. It was an early morning meeting I was going to. And these tanks start rolling out. And these things are ginormous. And the ground shakes. And you're just looking for some place to hide. And you think, they're on our side. They're not out to get me. But I wanted to hide anyway. <laughs> Here comes Goliath. He is a tank. You want to go against him? You know, everybody was saying, you're crazy, you can't do this. But this is what it's like. Bears, lions, countries. David is always outnumbered. The odds of him surviving are extremely small. Here's Saul chasing David with 3,000 men. Now that means that David is outnumbered seven to one. Not good. So you know, David had to face these life and death situations over and over. And so what he did about it was he cried out to the Lord. That's verse seven. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. It's something he did all the time. God, help. Number one prayer. And you notice God answers. Now we have this, this huge, dramatic God descending from heaven with smoke and clouds and lightning and riding upon an angelic being called a cherub. Now these things are really powerful and don't think of fat babies with wings when you read cherub in the Bible. And I almost bust out laughing when I was reading that because I was thinking, here comes the Lord and underneath him is this little fat baby with wings like this. I was thinking, that looks dangerous. <laughs> but that's not what's happening. It's an angelic being. There's actually four of them that are like the throne of God and they're awesome and powerful, and lightning, and ozone going on. And you think, well, when, when did that ever happen? That we read about in David's lifetime. Is David being a little bit dramatic here? Myself, I've been reading this for years, and I wonder if it's not a graphic representation of what it's like when Jesus comes back to the earth. Just my little guess that, you know, 
something so powerful that would blow the sea away, uncover the foundations of the world. That is a fabulous entrance. And when Jesus comes back, it's going to be completely overwhelming. So, you know, think about it. But even if it didn't happen in such a literal way, God definitely got involved in David's crises. And you notice, he was angry. You know, if you're a father and you see somebody trying to beat up your child, you would get angry. I know for myself, I would develop the strength of 10 and I would rip that guy's legs off. Don't beat up on my child. It's right to be angry. And see, David's, uh, God sees that it's not right that David should be picked on like this. You notice, David never attacked anybody. He didn't want what belonged to somebody else, ever. It's all these people that want what David has. They're trying to attack him, and God says, what is this? So God sees the unfairness of it and gets involved in the situation himself. So, every situation that David had, God got involved in. Now, once or twice might be a coincidence, but not every time. So, even though there wasn't this huge, dramatic, cosmic entrance, here comes God again, David knew God is angry, God is involved, God is working. And the reason why God saved David is that David was in a right relationship with him. That's what we get in verse 20. He delivered me because he delighted in me. It says in verse 21, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me. And as for statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before him and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people. But your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. Okay. 
you can read those verses and say, what? And I'm sure some of you, the very first thing you thought was, wait a minute, what about Bathsheba? Did this happen before Bathsheba? Or after? Well, look at David's righteousness. David kept his ways according to God's ordinances. His steps were established by walking in God's ways. He meditated in the word of God because meditating is preparation for doing. You can't do the word of the Lord without meditating. This is something that God told Joshua. He says, you are to cause Israel to possess the land that I'm giving them. How you're to do it is to meditate in the law of Moses day and night. For then you will be prosperous and then you will have good success. And what he's saying is, meditation is preparation for doing. Now, you know, Joshua was 80 years old when God told him to meditate on the word of God day and night. Can you imagine? Would he say, oh, I'm too old for this? God says, you better start right now catch up. And it's amazing though, but Joshua did follow all the ways of the Lord because meditating in the Bible is preparation for doing. That's the right way. And the word of God is powerful. It shapes and molds your life and gives you the strength and ability to do it. So, all God's ways, David says in Psalm 25, are loving kindness and truth. And that is the result of a relationship with God in the word is you have this relationship with God. You're walking in step with him because you're submitting yourself to his word. And you look down in verse 26. He says, with the merciful, you'll show yourself merciful, blameless, pure. And again, how can David describe himself this way? Who in the world can say I'm pure? Well, Psalm 119 verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? by keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. You notice it's not just the word, but he's also praying, God, keep me. That's really how you have a relationship with God. You seek him through his word. And then you say, God, keep me. 
And then you're trusting God to keep you, and that's faith, and that pleases God. The righteous shall live by faith. That is, depending on God according to his word. You trust God, not your own strength. And I noticed in Psalm 119, the psalmist is always praying for God to teach him, to lead him, cleanse him. Do not let sin have dominion over me. So he's not saying, God, what a fabulous, righteous person I am. You need to bless me because I am something else. He's depending upon God to keep him. See, and that is what God says is righteous. Because David knows the truth. He knows he's a sinner. But you know, the one who trusts in God, God says, you are righteous. Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Okay, so what about Bathsheba? Bathsheba is the exception that proves the rule. David fell into sin because he neglected his relationship with God. That ongoing relationship of God, here is your word, now keep me. David kind of stuck it all into neutral. Says, I don't have to go out to battle when the other kings go out to battle. I'm a king. I can do anything I want. And he did anything he wanted. And then got sucked into sin because he wasn't watching. Now, here's David, all of his righteousness down the tubes. Now what? God was faithful to him even then. And he sends Nathan the prophet to say, you know what? You did this. And David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. David believed God. Ultimately, if God says you're righteous, nobody can say a word about that. It's between you and him. And if you are trusting in his salvation, he calls you righteous. That's how you live with God. So, God even saves you from sin. Lions, bears, Philistines, nations, sin. It's not much of a salvation if he doesn't save you from your sins, do you think? And in this, David got back to trusting in God just like he did before. And God says, you're righteous. So, because 
David walked with God. God accounted him righteous, and he saved him from all his enemies and from Saul. And what happened is that the Lord became David's strength. So look at verse 29. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power. And he makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. Now look, light in the darkness. Light is about purpose. David wasn't floundering, trying to figure out who am I? What am I? What is life about? God laid it out for him. You're my man. I have made you king over my people to shepherd my people. And I'm making an everlasting covenant with you that one of your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel forever. See, there's purpose and meaning that God gave to him. Light is about understanding. It's about knowing who you are, who God is, which end is up. How do I live my life in this world? This life is temporary. It's not going to last forever. I want to look ahead toward eternity, dwelling with God forever. What I do now affects my future. Therefore, I want to walk with understanding. That is the light of God. Light is about courage and strength. We read that this morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So, I don't measure my opponents by how big they are, how dangerous they are. I measure them by God. What are they in comparison to God? Then why should I be afraid? Now, God was David's strength through his word there in verse 31. You know that when you keep your life according to God's word, you are clothed with power. You don't think about that, do you? But there's power in the word of God to shape your mind and your actions. That's why you want to be in the Bible, to be clothed with power. And you know, it's glorious how the word of the Lord is tested and pure. You cannot let your thoughts just run around anywhere. 
you kind of have to herd your thoughts and bring them together and make sure you're thinking about true things. Because the devil wants you to think about stuff that's not true. And if you think about the stuff that's not true, it begins to oppress you because you act as though it's true. If you stick to the truth, nobody can oppress you. Nobody can force you to do something you don't want to do. That's why control of the media is so interesting and so important because the media is being used to shape the way people think so that they can be controlled. But if you know the truth, none of that oppression or manipulation works. That's why it's important to hold on to the truth. And here is this word of God that is true. And if you hold on to this, you will not be manipulated. You will not be attacked and manipulated to do things you don't want to do. I'm running out of words right now. The idea in this attack is like twisting, like somebody grabbing your arm and jerking it up and saying, you do what I say. What I say is right. And you say, man, break my arm off, but you're wrong. You can resist the oppression by truth. Now, you look at this verse 34 and, and verse 33 too. He's my strength, he's my power, he makes my way perfect. It's talking about training. And he makes my feet like deer's feet. This is amazing. Have you ever seen deer walk on mountains? I saw a video of these mountain goats next to a dam. And there was a flat area, and they're going click, 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 click on the bricks. And they just start walking straight up the mountain. And you think, there's nothing to stand on. But they got these little hooves, and that's it. They just go up. Keep going up. It's like. And the wolves are down there smoking cigarettes, going, it breaks my head. I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> and David says, You make my feet like that. You make me able to go to places where I cannot naturally go. David is amazed. He's going, hey, Ma, look at me. What is God doing with my life? He's doing things I could never imagine. And especially to go where I could not naturally go. Like up the hills. To go high. And again, in Psalm 27, you lift me high. So... All my enemies are shooting arrows and they're kind of going pink and they're not even getting up to me. This is crazy. 
But what I think is really fabulous is verse 36. You've given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. Now, a shield is something hard that comes between you and the enemy so that all the blows fall on the shield and not on you. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. All of God's wrath that should have fallen upon us fell on him instead. And because he took all of that wrath of God, we are saved. And it's the humility of Jesus, his ability to think about somebody else and not think about himself. That's what saves us. That he would leave everything we think necessary to be God in heaven and be born as a little baby on a little speck of planet in this entire universe that he made. He became nothing for us. We're going to be glorified, but he lost it all. His humility has made us great. The same way his humility made David great. So then verse 38. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. And I have destroyed them and wounded them so they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like dirt in the streets, and I spread them out. You've also delivered me from the strivings of my people. You have kept me as the head of the nations. A people I've not known shall serve me. The foreigners submit to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. Now, beating all of his enemies as fine as dust is not just David. He's performing the will of the Father here. And they've attacked God's man, who never did them harm, never attacked them, and God says, take them out. And they cry out to the Lord, O oh Lord, it worked for David. How about us? God says, I don't even want to listen to you. You're done. And see, all the wicked are going to be dealt with in time. In Psalm 149, verse 5, it says, Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy in their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations 
and punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment written. This is an honor for all his godly ones. You're going to judge the nations. Did you know that? That's what it says. So here we are in the situation where we're getting beat up, but the time is coming when God says, beat them as fine as dust. And when he says that, it's going to be okay. Now, we bless our enemies. We do not curse. If they want to kill us, okay. We'll see you again in 100 years. And then David praises God here in verse 47. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Now, here's some things we want to take away from this. One is, if you believe in Jesus, you are God's person, you are going to live a life of warfare and conflict. Not because you're looking for a fight, and flesh and blood are not the enemy. The enemy is spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You think, oh, well, who cares? Well, the difference is you can despair. You can give up. You can walk away. You can get so discouraged, you can become suicidal. I have a friend right now who's going through that, a believer in Jesus. He's going to make it. Do you know why he's going to make it? Because Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. Do you get that? If our salvation depended upon us, we wouldn't make it. But it's because he's saving us. So we're not looking for a fight, but we have one. And we have to deal with it, whether you like it or not. You have to fight. And we're outnumbered. We're outgunned by the enemy. They don't get tired. I get tired. You get tired. And that's when they attack. Not when you're fresh and ready and three rounds and no hits below the belt. They just go, hey, what's that? Pow. So it's, it's pretty grim. They fight dirty. Remember that this battle is really 
to retain what God has already given. We're not trying to get to heaven. We're there. But the devil wants to make it really hard. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know, if you don't realize you're in a war, you're going to be one of the first casualties. You have to be aware of this. So, the way to fight this war is to pursue your relationship with God. Your ability to withstand grows as your relationship grows. You're not going to slug it out with, with spiritual forces of wickedness, you know. Did I hit anything? Maybe if I try a sucker punch. You know, it can't work that way. It's just like God saying to Joshua, you're going to possess the land as you pursue your relationship with me. You'd think, well, why don't I just go out there and learn how to swing a sword better? But see, it's the clothing with strength by pursuing your relationship with God that leads to overcoming. Because that's where the devil attacks, right in your relationship with God. If you begin to pursue God in the Bible, the devil goes all out. You fall asleep. You're narcoleptic all of a sudden, just like, ah. Why is that? Why is that when you can read anything else, you're wide awake? Open your Bible. It is the black pill. You're out. I've always marveled at that. Or thoughts come into your brain. It's like you have nothing but cats up here. And you're trying to herd them all. And it doesn't work. It's like, what's this? I have laser attention when I'm reading the Telecaster Guitar Forum. I could do that all day long. Read my Bible? <laughs> brain static. Coincidence? I don't think so. And you know, I've... One of my favorite prayers is, God, give me a quiet time or kill me. I don't care which. Because I get that strung out and just thinking, I can't even do this. I need to be clothed with power. And it starts right here in my relationship with God. So that becomes your greatest priority to develop your relationship with God, to know Him. Not just a little bit, a couple of facts stored up here, but to know Him by experience. And especially to know the love of God which passes understanding that you might be filled up to all the knowledge of God. That makes all the difference in the world. Boy, if you know God loves you, you can run on a troop. You can bend that bow of bronze. 
But if you're not quite sure, if you think God's kind of angry at you and he's kind of on the outs and you're on your own, kid, it's like, how long are you going to last? You don't have any, any ability to keep going. You've got to know God. So, what happens if you fail? What happens if you sin? Then you do what David did and you press even harder into the Lord. That is the only way to deal with these things. You know Christ in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. That is how you overcome this world. Now, Look at verse 51, and this is the big takeaway. He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. This means that these promises to David are also to you because you are his descendants. Everyone who believes in Jesus is descended from Abraham. That's what it says in Galatians. And if you read Matthew, the very first chapter, it says, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. That means you're also related to David. You are David's descendants. This promise belongs to you. You get God's help too. It's not presumption for you to think, oh gosh, I can't ask God to help me. I haven't been that good lately. That's when you need the help the most. So you go into him. You press into him through the blood of Jesus who died for you. You go to him. And you say, I have to have this. And he will give you everything that you need. He will clothe you with power. So, let's pray. This morning, we're going to have communion. And this is the time to press into God. You can think about your sins that make you unfit to take communion. This is the time when you confess them to God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. So let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can come near to you because of Jesus. We thank you that you don't push us away but you draw us near to you. Thank you that we're not asking something you don't want to give. 
because you give help to the seed of Abraham. You give help to believers in Jesus. We thank you for this right, this privilege, this blessing. We trust that you're going to save us from all of our enemies. We trust that you're going to resolve all the issues that go on and on and on. That's your promise. Help us to know you. Give us that heart to say, God, I have to know you. I have to know your love. I have to walk with you. We praise you that you are our fortress, our defense. So please work for us. And especially as we're taking communion, please pour out your love in our hearts. Please prepare our hearts for communion and wash our hearts clean, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.